Welcome back to the podcast, folks. This is Conversations with the Mind. Yes, you are in the right place, and I'm your host, Shane LaMaster. I want to start off by thanking all of you listeners. Your continued listenership means so much to us, so please continue to listen and tell your friends and family about the podcast. That's how we spread this conversation, and we get others involved in the conversation. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, please continue to like and share all of our posts when we put these up on social media. It is through your help that we get this message out. Our reach is only so far, but with your help, we can reach so many more people. So please continue to like and share. And if you like the content that you're hearing in these podcasts, please feel free to donate. There is a link at the bottom of whatever podcast app that you're using. Please feel free to donate to that if you find this information valuable in any way. Any amount of donation is accepted, and we appreciate everything that you are willing to donate even if it's a dollar even if it's five dollars please donate to the podcast all proceeds go back into it to make the message better for you and please check out our youtube page support and subscribe to the mind ops youtube page where we break down a number of these concepts and you can find videos on all sorts of topics that we have created so please check it out and here is a word from our sponsor Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored by MindOps.com. You can find us at www.mind-ops.com. We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military, through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story. Good news here, get your good news here. After grandma accidentally dialed wrong number, she sparked unlikely friendship with women that needed it most. Get your good news. Hey folks, this is the good news section of the podcast. I'm here with both my co-hosts, Ty and Tank. Tank is recovering from uh, hip surgery, not on the joint itself, but they had to have a, a malignant cancer tumor removed, and so... I'm helping him recover while we're uh, recording this. So my co-host and I are both in, we're all three in studio, and uh, we wanted to uh, get you your good news for the day. Um, so yeah, like I said, the title of this article was, uh, After Grandma Accidentally Dialed the Wrong Number, She Sparked an Unlikely Friendship When a Woman, when, when a woman Needed It the Most. And it talks about how this, uh, this old grandma was dialing this number that was actually one number off from her grandson's. Uh, she was trying to reach her grandson and kept leaving these messages for him on this woman's answering machine. And the woman called her back and was like, you know, you have the wrong number. And But just kept getting messages from this grandma. And then the messages started to be for the woman herself. You know, um, the grandma reached out and started, they started their own relationship. And now they're really good friends. And um, at the time, um, this other woman was was going through a, a tough time when her parents were getting a divorce, and this older woman just kind of she she feels like she's become her grandma uh, now. So this is pretty cool, just a, a cool way that people kind of 
connect accidentally or is it accidental? Maybe it's meant to happen that way for a reason. It's very interesting to me um, how the universe works and how the universe really has no obligation to explain how it works to us. But it's fun to see how it unfolds in all these different ways. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know if we'll ever understand it. But anyway, um, that's our good news story for the day. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, the conversation with my mind this week has really been about the differences that I feel we hold between our different mindsets and really how important that is. Um, you know, there's a lot of conflict in our world, and it seems like the mass majority of conflict out there is just because of differences in ideology or differences in idea or thought or expression or things like this. Um, you know, religious wars have been fought over and over for tiny little differences in religious doctrine. Um, even when the underlying message of differing religions is essentially the same. Um, my wife and I recently went to a, a funeral. Uh, it was a very beautiful um, Christian funeral and I, I'd never been to a Christian funeral uh, and as a Buddhist I really wanted to go in there with an open mind and, and try and soak up as much as I could and it was very interesting um, the pre, I don't, I don't know if it's a preacher or pastor um, he was you know giving this sermon around uh, death and had quoted a couple specific Bible verses and he was smiling and laughing while he was giving his speech and it was it was an interesting juxtaposition to have laughter and smiling um, amidst a funeral, which, you know, stereotypically should be, you know, sad and solemn and, um, you know, almost dark and sad and things like this. And in my mind, that's what I think of stereotypically, even though that's not aligned with my own belief systems. I believe that um, death should be celebrated as a, um, a transition. You know, it's a wonderful transitory period in which we get to expand beyond our physical limitations. Um, and a lot of suffering ceases at the moment of death. And it's also the most natural thing we can all do. Um, I've, uh, I've been encountering death quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. Um, and, but anyway, back to my story of, of uh, the church. So we're sitting in the church and, and um, getting this sermon and uh, part of the sermon, he was talking about, you know, religious wars that have been fought, and that got me to thinking about the differences in our mindsets and how, you know, a lot of the Christian faith that he had um, quoted throughout the funeral service was directly in line with uh, Buddhist philosophy. Um, things like, you know, death isn't the end, that there's much more afterwards, that, the, that uh, death should be um, joyously celebrated and this person's memory goes on and, you know, the expansion of energy and all these other things was right in line with Buddhist uh, belief systems as well. And I was thinking like, well, wh why the hell do people fight over um, religion when this underlying message is the same? Uh, it's just expressed differently. It's told in different stories. It's told in different parables through different characters. Um, you know, the story of Jesus is very similar to the story of Buddha in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, those are just two examples. But, you know, these underlying 
it's underlying driving forces of religion, you know, be kind, be kind to others, be compassionate, treat others as your neighbor, treat or treat others as yourself, um, you know, and basic uh, morals, ethics, and values that have been held for a long time underlie all these religions. And they're fighting over these teeny tiny differences in how the story is being told. Um, and that's really, I don't know, it got to be frustrating for me to think about that and how um, the differences in our minds and the differences in our ideas aren't celebrated more. Um, because they really, it really is important that there are differences. Um, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as interesting. It wouldn't be as curious. It wouldn't be as, um, thought provoking or, um, feeling provoking if everybody thought exactly the same. It reminds me of, there's a Rick and Morty episode out there, um, where, uh, Rick is on this planet called Unity and, uh, it's a unity conscious, it's a hive mind planet, so every person on the planet is connected into the same consciousness called unity, and uh, so there's no differences in the ideas and the mindsets, and it seems on the surface that the planet is running, you know, very optimally, you know, with no one else to argue a position, everything just kind of gets done, um, but then we later find out that, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, restriction and, um you know, it was almost 1984-ish where where people were forced to do things that they didn't want to, and then it was almost as if their brain had been washed clean. It was a very interesting episode, but I just feel like it illustrates um, how damaging I think it would be for us and our progression and our evolution as a as a human consciousness to all have the same ideas. Uh, that would not be very productive, um, and that's shown up in my own life in a few ways recently too, you know, um, my wife and I regularly have different viewpoints on the way the household should be run or the way, you know, my dog should be cared for the way that, um, our time should be spent. And this is, you know, and it's, it's an aspect of myself that I'm definitely working on. It's something I've have not, um, had to, I guess, look at as closely as I am now. Um, and I'm very grateful for my wife for being in my life and, and pushing me in that direction, pushing me in the direction to start looking at these things um, and to grow for myself, to realize, you know, with, with a pill of humility that I'm not always right in every situation. Um, and largely when I was living alone and making all my own decisions for myself, you know, what my decisions were seemed like the right decision for me because there was no one there to tell me any different. Uh, but I'm so grateful to have someone in my life that pushes me by providing alternative um, options and alternative ways to think and, um, you know, teaching me how to be more compassionate and teaching me how to be more empathetic and and make more decisions um, that are selfless rather than selfish. Uh, my wife is extremely selfless, and um, I love that so much about her. She's amazing. Um Anyway, the differences between our mindsets, um, on the other end, you know, I see that, you know, when we exclude or uh, we become bigoted or, you know, any of the isms sort of um, when we when we talk about these things to the to the exclusion of, um, you know, not talking about how important the differences between us are. But if we exclusively talk about you know, how we're different and shine a light on division between us. You know, it seems like, um, 
you know, the solution itself seems in my mind to be full of inclusion and without judgment. So it seems like if we continue to shine a light on like dividing aspects of ourself or, um, you know, you don't think the way I do and therefore we're in conflict, you know, that that's only going to create much more suffering for all of us. Um, but I don't know what the solution is, you know, uh, full inclusion without judgment. Uh, that would mean sitting down and listening to everyone's opinion and giving it equal, you know, equal status, equal value at first. And then through debate and through uh, voting or through, you know, talking about it, really deciding which one is more favorable. Um, that seems to be a good way to do it. But I don't know. We probably already tried something like that and, and failed at it in the past. Um, but anyway, folks, my main takeaway message from what, what I've come to in my own conclusions about how we think about the differences between us is that differences should be celebrated and seen as um, novel or exciting experiences. Okay, If we can start to view other people's opinions as exciting, especially when they're different from our own, um, because they're different from our own, then that only serves to expand our viewpoint um, even more and inform us more. You know, it reduces ignorance all the way around. So I'm going to try and practice that a little bit more. Um, I hope you guys find that conversation that I had with my mind useful. Our guest today, an amazing guest, very high-profile guest, a good friend of mine and my jiu-jitsu master, uh, Master Silvio... (coughs) <clears throat> Master, excuse me. I had a, uh, I had a, a bubbly, sparkling water right before I um, started recording this, and I got one of those bubbles stuck in my throat. I hope that my voice sounds normal. It doesn't sound very normal to me. Anyway, our guest is uh, Master Silvio de Mata Bering. He's an eighth-degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coral belt. Um, which if you don't know jiu-jitsu coral belts, there's very, very few of them in the entire world. Uh, Eighth-degree jiu-jitsu coral belt. Uh, he's the president of the Brazilian Confederation of Sport Jiu-Jitsu uh, currently, but will be retiring from that role soon. He's also on the commission of the Jiu-Jitsu Global Federation, uh, also another big, uh, highly well-respected organization. He's an author and has written books. Uh, he's the, cura- uh, the creator of the progressive jiu-jit- uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu system. Um, that's really what he's famous for is uh, his progressive system. And if you guys just Google... Silvio Bering, B-E-H-R-I-N-G. Um, it'll come up with lots of different websites that he's associated with. Um, SilvioBaring.com, all sorts of uh, Instagram and Facebook contacts for him. Um, he welcomes uh, people reaching out to him, especially if it's about jiu-jitsu or surfing. Um, he's become a really good friend of mine over the last few years. I first started training under him uh, probably five or six years ago and have uh, really enjoyed his mentorship and his friendship and his laughter. And uh, it was amazing to have him on the podcast. I hope you guys all learn from this and uh, enjoy it. Um, I don't think it's very often that very many people um, in the jiu-jitsu community get to get to really talk with, at depth, um, one-on-one with, with uh, someone as, as esteemed as this. Uh, so I'm very grateful, very, very grateful for his time. So here it is. I hope you like it. Our podcast with Master Silvio Bering.
This is the Conversations with the Mind podcast, where we explore consciousness through conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. Yeah, I'm here. All right. Welcome Perfect. to the conversation. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. So um, I'm your host, as always, Shayla Master. I want to welcome our guest, Master Silvio Baring, to the show. Uh, it's so great to have you here, Master. Um, I want to start off the podcast with the same question that I have for all my guests. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, sorry. So I want to start off with the same question that I have for everybody, and that is, um, you know, the, the podcast name is Conversations with the Mind. And I just want to get a sense from you. What does that phrase mean? What does, uh, you know, the words Conversations with the Mind, how do you take that? And what, what sort of meaning do you make out of that? Meditation. Uh, read, you know, go, go deep inside your, your own and talk to yourself. Meditation is the best best way to translate that. You know, if you meditate, it's uh, just empty your mind, and then things are gonna pop out. Yeah. So you have experience with uh, your own meditation? Oh yeah, I, I have. You know, when I was uh, in a competition, when I was an athlete, one thing that I, I for sure uh, to don't be nervous, don't be always calm, focused. And have a better uh, recovering from training. Meditation was one thing that I want to that I worked a lot. Right? I did meditate for many years. Actually, now talking about that, I miss it. Yeah. So, I mean, I use meditation the same way. I think that meditation is a great way to, you know, turn that focus inside yourself instead of outside, and really, really start to pick apart who you are and pick apart what you're doing here on this planet and what you know what consciousness means and all those big questions too and and certainly it helps with uh performance i mean uh i think that's how you first uh got introduced to me many years ago when i came out to utah um i did one of those visualization uh exercises with the team um because my background is in sports psychology so there really is some some uh a lot of good science behind turning that focus inside to be able to control, like you said, like nervousness and, and arousal and things like that for competition, but also for life too. Do you find that meditation is useful for you in every day? For sure. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little on and off, not uh, regularly, but I'm doing more often since the start this year. I got, I, uh, I, I broke up my marriage last year in, in November. So, my life changed a lot, and it was good to have some trips. I went to the north of Brazil, to Amazon, and uh, I went to Bahia for a paradise uh, called Caraíba. And in those places, I met some very good people there. And it was very mental, very spir spiritual experiences. And I'm trying to, you know, re, uh, have the, re educate myself to meditate more often. I know that every time I, I, I can focus my mind on reading or doing something else uh, that can keep my mind focused on something straight uh, to that thing is also a kind of meditation. 
what I, I believe that uh, we have three things that have in, in our life that, you know, is the past, the present, the present and the future. And the things that uh, pops in our emotions are all related with all, all those three things. So meditation is to, you know, put yourself in the present and let your mind flow to the future, to the past. And, because if, if, you, uh, if you suffer for depression, probably the problems are in your past. Depression is related to the past. Uh, stress is related with the present, what we're living now, the things we have to do, not, be, not done yet, blah, blah, blah. And the future is the anxiety, uh, things about uh, when we have problems with the future, expectations, frustrations, blah, blah, blah. Is uh, anxiety takes over. Um, so I think meditation keeps you on the present a little more and reduce the stress and don't let you fly too much for to get um, or to excited or with anxiety or depressed with the with the past things you could not you cannot do anything about that anymore. Yeah. Well, first I want to I want to you know. Ex- I want to say sorry. I, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you went through that last November. That's difficult for everybody who goes through those things. Um, and oftentimes, when people go through those sort of, you know, life changing challenges, uh, it can lead to a great transformation, um, a transformation of growth afterwards. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast too. You know, using difficult times or challenging times in your life. And not wallowing in it and getting depressed, but using it as a way to get better or a way to improve yourself. And it sounds like after that happened last November, you really, you really started exploring yourself again and exploring your spirituality and reconnecting with who you were. And, and it seems like it's been very beneficial in the last, you know, six months or so. Oh, yeah, it's true, man. You know, I cannot blame, you know, my marriage was great. Uh, my ex-wife, uh, Susanna, was a great woman. That put me in the track. I was uh, I was too much all over the place, and to have a family for twelve years uh, gave me a little more direction over what I had to go, and uh, because I always had to come back. Um, when uh, we did divorce, the, the marriage wasn't wasn't working anymore. We start to be the worst version of ourselves to each other. So I understand that was my fault as well. But uh, like you said, you know. You start to reconnect to your life. Uh, actually, my life uh, after breakup, uh, I had, I, you know, I put the mask on first, like, like, uh, you know, on the plane when the oxygen start to fail, put your mask on first, and then you help the others, man. Put your mask on. So after have your oxygen flowing, and then then you can look around and help everybody else. But if you don't put your mask first, probably gonna die with everybody else. So that's what I did to myself, and I'm feeling very good about that. I'm having, I'm more focused on my on my plans for my business, for my organization. I can give more time to my family, my mother, my sisters, and um, my my grandson, which is two years old. <laughs> so I can I can give a little more attention for you know for people I was always missing. Yeah, that's amazing. And you described having um, a couple of spiritual experiences in your recent travels in Brazil. Would you mind sharing what those are? I'm I'm always fascinated by people's um, spiritual experiences because I've had a couple myself, and they've always been like life changing. Yeah, it's funny because uh, since uh, that happened, a lot of 
You know, I remember once I sit on a, on a here in, in Brazil, we have a region called Umbanda, which is uh, very spiritual. It's related with the uh, African roots. And I went to interview with the um, entity, which is called Father Joaquin. And, and he's a, a black slave, um, represent a black slave uh, uh, soul or something like that. It was funny because he turned to me and said, that was many years ago, he said, you know, Silvio, you are just an elephant holding by, by a dental floss. Hmm. That was funny to hear that because it was uh, exactly the, the, what I felt when, uh, when things didn't work out anymore. Well, I was going, you know, feeling that I was going to the hole. I could not, you know, get drowning. You try to go out, the problems, you know, you cannot find it. Every time the discussion comes up, you know, things get, gets worse and worse. Is a, is a kind of cycle. It's getting worse and if you don't go out of this, you don't find your way out. So I tried some things that didn't work. By the time that we decide to, you know, really give up on, on keep trying to make things work, was better for both. I think uh, all the families got, got a little more freedom for it to go through our dreams and things we, we believe were right to do. And, uh, but I felt exactly like that, like the dental floss was just ripped. I, I couldn't even feel it. You know, I, I, for sure I was missing my wife, but I cried for five minutes. <laughs> that was exactly the time I was getting on the plane when we had the discussion. I sit on the plane, I start to cry like a baby for five minutes and that was done. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was a relief crying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and at least in American culture, I don't know how it is in Brazil, but in American culture, you know, men are raised, you know, from little boys and we're told, you know, don't cry and, you know, crying's for girls and, you know, suck it up and, and things like that. And so in our culture, it's very, um, it's almost looked down upon, you know, if you see a man crying, but my personal, and that's how I was raised too, but my personal belief today, you know, having grown a little bit and, and matured in my thinking, you know, I believe that crying is a source of strength, you know, like you said, like it's a tool, it's a, it's a, it's a relief. It gets rid of a lot of the the feeling and the emotion that you feel that's weighing you down and it should be used. You know, it's very useful. We, we cry for a reason and to deny that uh, is, you know, I think that's a tragedy. Yeah. I want to share something with you guys there. I know that's very personal, but I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's part of what we're talking here and I feel feel good to talk about that with you, my friend. So yesterday I had a meeting at lunchtime and I was blaming, you know, I, I cannot say who and, 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 not, and not say uh, exactly to don't give identity for this person that I will talk about right now. But uh, during the, 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 the talk, uh, we were talking about someone that I, that I, for years in my life, I hated. And I had a very bad feelings about this person. But I, I, didn't, I didn't know this person really. Closer it was was kind of situation that happened in my life that uh, he was in the wrong position, the wrong situation, the wrong time, and I hate him for a long time. But sitting with the, with someone who was closer to him yesterday, this person said, "You know, you know, you have to understand this guy. I know he has a lot of bad things that you know on on his uh, behavior. I know he have problems, but uh, maybe you, you probably you don't have idea. Nobody knows it, but he was raped when he was four years old." Wow. Wow, man. I, you know, I was sitting on the table with an important meeting. I started to cry. 
like a baby, man. I can't tell. I felt so guilty. Can't imagine a guy, a man, that have a bad behavior and that is related with the past. Like I was saying, man. And I had no idea, but I was, I was feel, I felt so bad for so much bad feelings I, I had about this guy, and I had no idea about what he passed through. So sometimes we're selfish with our lives and we don't see around. We have no idea what's going on. We have no idea who is the other side. And then related with self-defense, and we talk about self-defense. I have to defend myself for someone I don't know who he is. I don't know the background. I don't know. I don't have idea about this person. I have to do whatever I have to do. I use a, I, I'm going to use a little more than I need, maybe, because I don't know the person. I cannot uh, gamble with my, my skills and say, no, I'm, I'm okay, I can deal. No. If you don't know the person, you have to go 100%, and then you reduce uh, what you feel that's easier than you expect. But at this point, you know, yesterday I was feeling exactly like that. You know, man, I was, I was feeling like, wow, shit. What, what, how, that hit me really hard. I felt guilty. Wow. You know, it's, yeah, I, I've, I'm sure I do that all the time too, you know, holding resentments against people just for, you know, how, how they made us feel, but not even taking into account their entire history. You know, my wife, Callie, who you also know, <clears throat> um, we went to a comedian uh, comedy show in Denver last night, and uh, that was his main underlying message to everybody was, you know, we need to, we need to treat everybody um, as we want to be treated. And we've all heard that, you know, the golden rule, you know, it's taught in almost every religion to treat, treat your neighbor as if you treat yourself. And there's really something to that because, you know, we don't know who that person is. We, we only know what we've seen of them. You know, we don't know their history. We don't know what's happened to them in their life. We don't know what, what uh, is causing their behavior. And I feel like I'm lucky being a therapist uh, in mental health that I get to, I get to see, a little bit more of someone's story when they, when they come into my office and tell me, and I get to, you know, peek into their life a little bit and understand a little bit more about, you know, why they're doing the things they're doing. Uh, even if the rest of the world doesn't agree, you know, it makes sense to them. And that was really the message that this comedian put out. And I thought um, it's kind of, it's interesting that you bring this up too today. So uh, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then beside that, you know, I, I had some, some amazing experience lately about the spiritual experiences. I, I started to do a business with a guy, very good guy, good business that we're doing together. He was 100% with me all the time. And I got a call from a very good friend, very important master in Jiu-Jitsu, which is a good, very good friend. And he called me in personal call and said, man, take care of this guy, you know. You're doing business with someone that, uh, that is not trustable. And... Uh, you know, man, he called me like five seconds after I post something that uh, with this guy. So I said to him, well, man, thank you for to, you know, open your heart to, to tell me that because that's very hard for someone to to warn someone else about about the person that, you know, dealing in. You see the business already done. But I told him, you know what, I, I have to give this guy an uh, 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 okay. I have to give him a chance. But I, uh, that, that was important for me to get the, the, the call and feel the, the energy from this friend and thank him for to expose him for that situation. Someone else with the other guy. And uh, that didn't change my way, the way I see him. I still trust on him. I think he might have something he could do. 
But I, bad things in my past as well, and I, I went through that, and I got a person, and I still I still going going to do some things better better after. Think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I find that uh, sometimes it's the people that we think are our enemies or the people that, uh, you know, even in, in jujitsu, like, um, like, uh, in a tournament or in a, you know, a professional one-on-one jujitsu match, like you're, you know, I'm of the belief that my opponent is my greatest teacher. You know, he's teaching me things about myself and about my own jujitsu game. Um, things that I can't learn without that opponent. And so I, I go in with a lot of gratitude and respect and honor for my opponent because they're teaching me things about myself and my jujitsu that I can't have without them. And um, I don't know, I try to play that every day in my life. You know, the people that kind of rub me the wrong way or make me frustrated or angry, I try and just take a breath, take a step back, maybe meditate on it a little bit. And then I usually find that you know, it's, it's not the other person that is uh, a bad person, but it's, you know, it's my reaction to what they did to me that I need to work with. You know, it's not, I can't change what they're doing, but I can certainly change my response to it. And that's also applies in jujitsu too. Exactly. And, you know, when I started the appropriate behavior, progressive management, that was interesting because that was, that was a reprogramming of my mind. You know, mind was, was programmed to, to, to answer, don't get offended. No, don't accept offense. React by offense. You know, like uh, defend yourself. Uh, nobody say anything about your mom or your family. Blah blah blah. All these martial things that you have to fight for this, fight for that. You know, don't go back home crying. But so, but when you lose some people that you know they they get killed by by you know stupid just to be angry, put their anger outside. You know, stupid reasons. Start to think about, you know, some things could be avoided. You know, we have to change the way you see uh, things around us. And that, that, was, that was one thing that changed my life. Because then we start to work with the five steps. First step is recognize, identify the feeling that you, you are under. So you have to recognize that if you're mad, if you're jealous, if, you, if, you're, if you're angry, uh, whatever you're feeling, you have to recognize that. Second step is to uh, don't react because of the feeling. Don't let the, 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 the emotion lead you to, to react over the emotion. You're going to do something wrong. The third step is to understand the, the, the why, the, the, you know, the reason for that feeling. Why are you feeling like that? The fourth step is to project consequences over, over your possibilities. What you can do, what's going to happen if you do this or do that. And the fifth step is to Make a wise choice and do the way, what you have to do. So these five steps changed my life. Everything I do, I do over it. Even with the, my partner on this program, uh, we had a, that was funny because uh, two days ago, we are working here on the online program, okay? We are doing the online course. So I was traveling a lot. I, I traveled for less uh, last month and a half. I went to Uruguay. I went to uh, Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, New York, uh, Calgary, Edmonton. And I came back to Rio working like crazy on um, my branding, resisting my, 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 my association. So this guy was, uh, was doing the first part of the classes for, for the theoretical part of the classes for the online course. 
and the cherry of the cake, uh, the way he used to say that, is my is my is the, the final part of the class, which I go there and talk a little about the some uh, uh, concept or some uh, philosophy, and then we go for the physical training, um, conscience uh, about um, um, be fit, uh, be in good shape, and taking care of healthy, um, uh, better uh, uh, eating. Uh, habits and also self-defense but this is the last part of the class so he did already 12 classes actually 14 classes when i got back to uh to rio and i need to go there and do this 14 classes myself to finish the, the, the his classes so his son was waiting for me there and we set up everything perfectly and we did 12 classes in three hours it was great i felt really good I felt something was missing there, but I was feeling good. I was saying, okay, that's okay. Came back home. Later on that night, I got a message from him. Silvio, man, sorry, but I need to, I didn't need to say. That was a mess. That was a horrible, uh, uh, you're part of the class. Then your, your, your shirt wasn't good. You're, you had to shave yourself. So he started to throw a lot of you know, things on me, like a, a director you throw on, on, a, <laughs> on someone. And um, uh, he's doing some stuff, uh, reading, uh, writing uh, my, my, what I'm going to say. He's writing for me, so I have to read it and, and repeat that. And sometimes he, read, he writes what he would say, not what I would say. So I change it. I, 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 I read it, I interpret it, and, and, and say the way I would I say. I don't want to sound for anybody. I want, I want you, when you see that, wherever you are in the world, you know the way I am. So you're going to look at me, look at me now. That's Silvang saying something there. But you say me repeating something for someone else, you're going to see, you're going to see that's false. It's not, it's not myself there. So I was feeling like that, you know, being myself. But when I read that first time, I got, I got really mad. I said, come on. I did my best there. And I, I put on a side, went to walk, watched some, uh, that was a... Um, uh, World Championship surfing in, in Bell's Beach uh, at night. So I was watching that, you know. Suddenly I, I came back to, the, to his message and said, man, you, you're totally right. You have all the reason, you know, man. I, I'm going to redo everything. I'm going to do it better than I did. Actually, the 12 classes that I already uh, taped, you can, you can delete that. But I, that was a good exercise for me. So we're going to redo that on Monday. So he was he was uh, surprised. Oh, thank you. I, I knew your feedback gonna be good. You know, I was worried about you being mad with me to point this all these things. Like, come on, man. You doing you doing you 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 know to be somebody be the many on my life right now in the stage that I'm I'm on right now in my life, make me feel good, make me feel that I have to get better in something, because you start to feel if you don't have anybody being the many on you or because you're mastering jujitsu because uh, oh nobody come on. We need to we need to get better every day. If uh, if we don't don't have anybody pushing pushing him for any 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 circumstance, I used to push him a lot. Now he's doing that for me. I'm very thankful. Wow, you know I'm I'm sure that's really difficult as an eighth degree coral belt in jujitsu. Uh, I mean, there's not many people in the in the world ranked higher than that that could provide you you know that that push behind you to motivate you to go you know it's it's up to you i guess to do that yourself and um you know actually i've never even um asked you about this and i'm wondering if you can share with me and share with my audience i'm sure they'd be fascinated too it's not very often that uh that you know 
people get to hear from an actual master in jujitsu. Um, if you could, if you could share with us what your journey through jujitsu was your whole life. I mean, you grew up in a family of jujitsu and I've never heard your history coming up through the belts and coming up through, um, you know, your own black belts and, and raising your kids in a jujitsu family as well. Was. So that was, that was interesting. I started, you know, my father was a, uh, started in 1947. My grandfather was, was friends of, uh, with uh, Grandmaster Helio. And uh, my grandfather was, was working on a very important uh, newspaper in Rio de Janeiro. And was a guy who was very famous on the, on the field. He was a marketing guy as well. And um, he was the president of uh, YMCA in Brazil. It was a, a big shot. He was the one who brought the, the Father's Day to Brazil from the United States. He was a visionary. But he saw opportunity for my father to uh, get raised in a better way. He couldn't give the best attention to my father. My father was passing through some bad times in the school, got you know, a bully there. So my father started became a very good black belt. You know, he was under Grandmaster Ed in the beginning of Master Carlos and then went to Grandmaster João Alberto's hands. And then from there, he went, he went through uh, the whole program and became a, uh, one of, of the instructors at the Great Academy. But he was working with publicity, with marketing, with my grandfather as well. So when I born in 1962, I was the third uh, of uh, two first girls and then the first son was me, so it was a, it was a chance for him to have uh, somebody, you know, training jiu-jitsu. That time when he could not think about put the girls to train jiu-jitsu, they could learn some basic self-defense, but not really do jiu-jitsu, put the gear on and and uh, be on the mat all the time. That was not usual. So two years later, my my son, my brother Marcelo born. So when I was uh, four years old, my father brought me to the, my first jiu-jitsu class with the gear on. We're going to master João Alberto. I, I, actually, I just uh, put online, I gave an interview two days ago about that. Somebody asked me what was the most important time of my life, most important experience with the Guion. And I have to say that my, my most important experience with the Guion was four years old when I stepped on the mess first time and I was doing self-defense with Grandmaster João Alberto Barreto. The guy was making me feel that I was capable to do it. To do it. I was doing the movements. I was defending myself. I was uh, disarming from a knife. I was designing from a stick. I was I was defending his kicks, and it was a I was a little kid. And he was a big man, so he empowered me that day so much. I was I felt that that thing could save my life. I was a, a very gentle kid, you know. So for me, I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to fight anybody. I, my brother was two years old. I was okay. When he was three, we start to fight, and we fought every day for the you know until. He was 16 years old, and we decided to stop the fight because it started to, you know, break teeth and break arms. So, so it was a little too hard. So we decided to fight on the gi on, with the gi on instead of be punching faces, uh, punching shoulders faces. But uh, right, right after that, uh, when I was like eight or, or some, I got my my yellow belt six or eight years old or something like that. I got my yellow belt. Uh, and then I, I was yellow belt until my, uh, when I was 15, 15 years old. 
I was I was a kid that was a, I was a good looking kid. I was uh, you know always for, for the demos. I was the one uh, that was doing the demos and self defense. I was really good in self defense. I think I, I fell in love with self defense because I I always had to train for the demos. So I had to do that so much over and over again to do a beautiful demo that I I fell in love with that. I, I could and I I could use it. I could apply it. We moved to Sao Paulo. I was around 10 years old and stayed there until 14, 15 years old. There we trained under Grandmaster Gaston Gracie and Grandmaster Pedro Meteri as well. My father was always bringing, bringing me and my brother to train there. But during the holidays, I was coming back to here training with Master, Grandmaster Alvaro Barreto, which became my master when I came back to live in Rio again. And then I, I, I got my blue belt um, 16 years old. I got my orange belt one, uh, uh, like two months before I got my blue because my, my master Alvaro stepped on the mess. Hey, how old are you now, sir? I'm 15, master. 16 next year? Yeah, next year. So come on, paro, paro, paro. Don't put a new belt on you. They put me an orange belt for two months and then the next uh, one. Uh, because it's the, the year you become 16, you have to turn a blue belt. So January 1st, I got my blue belt, 16 years old. And then from there, uh, my journey was with Master Alvaro all the time. Uh, and my father, my brother, as well, on the side. And I was 17 years old. My father, we were surfing too much. Uh, our life was a little out of the track. So my father decided to buy some 40 uh, uh, mats, uh, rice mats, a two-for-one. That was a heavy mats covered with canvas for us to have a place to train. Because he was, uh, he thought he would, he would be losing us, and uh, put us on train to train judo. We start judo at that time, 17 years old. I was going for purple belt. My brother was getting his blue belt. We went to to judo, and then from there we start our, our club in Nova Ipanema. It a, was a was a uh, neighborhood far from down from from South Zone in Rio, which was the place everybody was living that time. Everything was start to move to Barra da Tijuca. So we were one of the first ones to get there. And uh, that was the, the reason for us to start our club. So Bang was Bang Judo Jiu-Jitsu started, I think, started informal, like around 79, 80. In 81, we started a formal club with a logo and everything. And, uh, in 81, I was uh, going for a brown belt. 81, exactly. 81, 82, I was going for brown belt because 84, January 84, I got my black belt. And my brother got his black belt in November 84. So we both got black belt the same year. And then from there, it was, uh, was like that. And um, Working with Master Alvaro at his club, we, I start there. Uh, when we moved back from North Panema uh, to South Zone Rio de Janeiro, we spread our team, our group of students. Um, Jorge Pereira uh, got some, the group of the kids is still there in Panema. Some of them moved with me to Copacabana training with Master Alvaro. So we started a new program there. In, in, in 1992, I had 250 students in my school, Jiu-Jitsu school there in, in Copacabana. was one of the, the best teams, Corpo Quatro, Body of Four, the translation. That's why uh, a guy in Canada who have the same name. So Copo Quatro was a very uh, important, very strong competition team. A lot of, uh, you know, 
uh, a selling point. I have almost 50 Purple Bells trained in the same team. So it was a lot of good fighters, a good team. And a lot of females as well. I was one of the very few guys who was teaching women in the match. I had a, one of the first competition team, female competition was my team in Rio. In 92, I moved to Sao Paulo to help my father and my brother there, try to save the marriage that was already uh, going down the hill. Then I divorced in 92. My, my son, born in 88. I could not really raise him on the mat the way I wanted, but every time he was with me, I, I forced him to do it. And I had, he had no chance to you know, even uh, refuse it. I, I told him, until Blue Belt, you're going to be... You got to do it. You got to do it. And after the blue belt, you can do ballet or whatever you want, man. But blue belt is the is the the only negotiation we're gonna start to negotiate is after the blue belt. Before that, no negotiation. So he now he's a black belt. He's a, he's a first degree. He's a professor. Lives uh, teaching jiu-jitsu. Doing a great job. His name is Ian Bang. And my my son, my son's brother, my brother, passed away in 1995. And his son, Kiwan, was raised by my sister, was my student for a long time. But when he was a purple belt, he moved to, he, he was trained by, with Hickson as well, was living with Hickson when he was a blue belt. And then he moved to England when he was a purple belt, now he's a black belt under Roger Gracie. And Kiwan Gracie Berry. And then and my brother was married with Killer Gracie, so was the connection with the Gracie family. That my, I think everybody was very happy with that because... The connection was there before that with my father, my grandfather. But then when my brother married a Gracie girl and he had a Gracie-bearing kid, that was, uh, you know, was a, a big thing for for the connection with the blood family. And after that, you know, in '96, uh, I went the first time to Europe for the first Jiu-Jitsu seminar in Zurich with the Washirka brothers there, and then I went to the south of Brazil start. Uh, uh, Affiliation with uh, Winner Bering, with Márcio Corleta, Fabrício Verdun, Mário Reis, Rosângela Conceição, a great team there. And also went to Canada first time to Winnipeg and start affiliation there with, um, with a group, uh, AMA and Chá uh, Franco in Toronto. Uh, 2008, I went to United States and then I started something in the United States in 2009. Informal as well, and things start to grow like, like that. 2006, uh, 2006 was the time that I started on next gym with an MMA uh, as an MMA, MMA coach there for Jiu-Jitsu uh, MMA coach for the the X gym. Competition team, from, so we had Anderson Silva, Ronaldo Jacaré. Uh, in the beginning, it was Lioto Matilda, Vitor Belfort, uh, André Galvão trained with us there, uh, Pezão, uh, Minotauro, Minotauro, uh, I don't know, a lot of Paulo Thiago, Wale Alves, uh, Cigano. I think there was a lot of, a lot of good guys passed uh, on that team there to train with us. And I, and then when was two thousand around two thousand fourteen fifteen, I had to quit to teach day by day classes because I was traveling so much. 
it starts to be a little uh, difficult to have my my consistent uh, teaching. And I I passed the the match to my black belts, and then I just uh, now I'm just traveling, um, uh, checking the progression on my with my team worldwide, make sure that all the grades are done when I'm there to make sure we're going we're going the right track. And uh, the team is doing awesome. It's great. It's growing really strong. You know the the, the quality of the structure is solid. We keep the traditions in jiu-jitsu. Everybody learns self-defense, the basics, uh, the, the foundation of the sport. We are a very competitive team. We have an excellent results. All competitors that I that I that I bring into competition. Last last weekend we brought two two gold medals, and it has been like this. Not too many guys competing, but everybody's going to competition. Everybody's is having excellent results. So I'm very happy with that. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's an incredible history. Um, so back in the 40s and 50s when your dad was training down in Brazil, um, you know, I've never been to Brazil myself, but uh, I'd, I'd love to go and I'd love to come down there and train with you guys sometime. Um, but what I hear about these days is when people go down to Brazil, like everybody does jujitsu. I'm wondering, like in the 40s and 50s when your dad was doing it, was it still... I mean, was it huge in Brazil like it is today? Uh, obviously, it's bigger today, but... No, 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 because they didn't have no opportunity. Everybody wanted to train that time, had to train under Grandmaster Grandmaster Carlos, and some other guys that was doing jiu-jitsu as well, but not not really big. It was was less people, less opportunities. Um, in 92, when I had 250 students, yeah, I remember... Not 92, 88. When I went to São Paulo, we had a first meeting. I, I went there as a as a delegate for for to help uh, the organization of uh, one of the first big tournaments there. And I remember it was six schools. Six. Today, if you go for a meeting in São Paulo with the schools, it's going to be six thousand or six six hundred. I don't know how many, but there's so much. But at that, at that point, with six six people in the meeting to decide how it would be the tournament in São Paulo. Now the tournament, the Brazilian Championships in São Paulo have a set. They are uh, have the limit of six thousand people. <laughs> so that's how the growth of sports. Sports this uh, exploded. Now everybody does it. My clubs are growing everywhere in the world. In, in Canada, uh, we have association with one huge team. They offer a very strong program with Mai Tai. Uh, connected with Taiwan, uh, with Thailand, they have a very strong karate, uh, 25-year connection with karate with Okinawa, which is a really strong organization, and have 15 years with me in jiu-jitsu. Now, when they open the doors, they have three for one searching for jiu-jitsu over karate and Muay Thai. Three for one. So if uh, one people sign to, to Muay Thai, three people sign to jiu-jitsu. Mm. And how how many years have you been practicing jiu-jitsu? Since in nineteen sixty-six. So that's uh, fifty-three. <laughs> 53. 50, wow. Um, how do you stay motivated to, to continue after you know fifty-three years? I have to pay my bills. <laughs> no, I love it. Is what I what I uh, uh, no. I was four years old when I started, man. So my relationship is longer than anything I did in my life. You know? 
I, I started surfing when I was 14 years old. I love surfing. Surfing, I think, is the second thing that I love most in my life. I have to go for somewhere for, for a trip to, to have fun, I'll go surf. I go snowboard. I love both. Snowboard, I started in 1996 when I first went to Zurich. So my life is, a, is jiu-jitsu. I, I don't remember anything without jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu saved my life. Uh, I had to learn to defend myself. Uh, the impact that I, I brought for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people worldwide, you know, the feedback that I have from, you know, I don't know, numerous uh, feedbacks from, from people all over the world, you know, saying that uh, I changed their lives, so what, what happened in jiu-jitsu was amazing, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's so, uh, uh, so rewarding you'll be able to touch people's lives in the way we do it. And not, not just teaching people movements. Uh, movement's easy. They, uh, somebody asked me, uh, I had a, uh, on Thursday night, I, I went to donate uh, a seminar for a church here in Rio. And uh, somebody asked me there uh, some questions about, uh, you know, about gradings, about, uh, about, about life in general. Uh, and... Uh, I think that for us to keep the passion over what we do is because uh, it's so great. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, I went to the, the Valente Brothers and I learned a lesson there. Okay, it was asking me about the, the, my mission. I said my mission is to preserve jiu-jitsu the way I you know I know as a culture, pass this information for more people that I that I have chance. And make it better if I can. And it was funny because the Valente brothers are there, are very nice, very polite guys. And one of their things was Guilherme turned to me and said, nice, Silvio, I'm sorry about to say that, but I understand your statement about, about your mission, but uh, you cannot make Jiu-Jitsu better. We can understand that better. Jiu-Jitsu is perfect. I got a message right there. I said, man, I have to change my statement right now. <laughs> You're right. I cannot make it better. I can understand that better. So... Uh, but I can make myself better. And every time, and I, and Bushido, what I'm doing there, my friend, what I'm doing there now, uh, donating, donating uh, my time as much as I can for, for social projects, you know, uh, offering my time for to be with people that cannot afford to have a class, but it's not for to teach them jiu-jitsu, it's to bring them a message, to make them look jiu-jitsu as a way to look the life as a challenge that you can win, you can beat it, you can you can be happy. You you you're born to be happy. In jiu-jitsu, you're gonna pass through very difficult times, but after the day done, you're gonna progress. You're gonna feel yourself better, more, more much stronger, more more confident. Uh, you know, if you if you uh, get all the understanding over not just the the jiu-jitsu itself as a sport, but the lifestyle, the, the you know, the energy on the mass, the challenging uh, of rolling, the necessity of learn, um, you know, the full thing, not not just what works for you, but learn, because people are going to need you in the, in the future. You're probably going to teach someone. So if you just get information that's good for you, you're going to, uh, you're going to give uh, people just um, uh, glasses with one lens, not, not, not two, uh, not give them the, the proper vision they, they can have. 
So it's about, it's about uh, you know, life skills. I was talking about, um, you know, the importance to sit properly on the mats. A lot of people look at me and say, come on, you talk about sit properly on the mats? How to sit, prop- sit properly? I say, you know what? For safety reasons first. If you cross your feet, if you crisscross your legs, nobody's going to trip on your foot, nobody's going to land on your foot, nobody's going to hurt you. So for, for, for safety reasons, you have to sit properly. Second, if you sit and keep your posture, you're going to be helping your posture to get stronger. And also, mats are not a uh, comfortable zone. It's not to be comfortable on the mats. The mats are to be uncomfortable, to make you break limits, to make you break uh, uh, you know, paradigms, make you, you excel. It's for, to find your full potential. So if I sit to be comfortable, I'm not helping my spirit to develop. I'm not helping myself to get stronger. And uh, a lot of people think that teach kids to keep the, teach the kids busy all the time. I said, no, no, the kids must be seated at least for five minutes in each class for learning social skills. First, they have to sit and give the time to others. So it's not my time now, it's his time. So I have to sit here and watch quietly my partner there doing his, stu- his stuff. And that's the time that the instructor put the hands in each one of the kids and roll with two water dance and pass through the program. Attack them, self-defense attacks. Check the judo, check the base, check the ground fighting, blah, blah, blah. Sit back again. But a lot of people, they, they, they want to make uh, the match a free zone of uh, free interpretation or whatever it is about grappling, which is a, is a chaotic way to see, is an is a anarchist uh, uh, vision with no lack of discipline or of organization, but works. Works with survivors, people who survive off that kind of instruction will be really good for sure. But if you want to have something that can include everyone with disabilities, with uh, mental problems, with physical problems, physical limitations, um, health limitations, whatever, you want to be inclusive. You want to have chance to bring everyone to learn the benefits of the jiu-jitsu can bring life. We cannot see just the sport jiu-jitsu and the competition. We have to see the whole picture. Yeah, so this is this is really what you're talking about when you say in jiu-jitsu we teach much more than just the movement, but we teach a whole philosophy of life uh, behind it. And I'm learning that more and more as I progress in my own jiu-jitsu journey. Um, you know, uh, Coach uh, Professor G, Professor Z made me a brown belt uh, at my wedding. It was it was really amazing to be promoted in front of all my family and friends uh at such a such a big event uh in my life and um you know as, as he breaks it down to us he teaches us a, a bit of the philosophy uh at each belt level and and what your focus should be on and through my own journey what i've come to know is that you know through white belt and blue belt i'm really just picking up a lot of the technique a lot of the mastery over you know my breathing mastery over my emotions um mastery over my ego and my frustration and then in purple belt i started to play a little bit more with uh style and get to work a little bit more um with creating my own um style of jujitsu and the physical part and now that i'm a brown belt uh z's told me you know I just want you to focus on having as much fun as you can in jujitsu in your brown belt that you will, you'll get your black belt in its own time, but I just want you to have as much fun as possible. And I think that's a big part of the jujitsu philosophy. That's important to me is to not take it so seriously, um, you know, but to, to really have fun. And if I have fun, then my expression of 
the art of jujitsu becomes much better. And I become more proficient when I focus less on, um, you know, less on the physical movement and more on the philosophy behind the movement. Exactly. Because uh, to know what to do is easy. Everybody, the YouTube can teach you what to do, why you're doing this. That's the, that's the most important. What, how and what is just mechanic. But why? Why are I doing it? Why, why? Exactly. Why am why I doing this? Why I put my hand here? Why, why I grab here? Why my, my hand is not this way, that way? Uh, the mechanic, the pure mechanic, is already a lot of study. But when, when, uh, when we, we... It's not pure mechanic. When we deal with another body, Another, another person there on the other side. The fight is in the mind. The, the, the body just reproduce what you think, what you believe, what you would trust, what you have inside of you. So you reproduce physically what's going into your mind. If you, if, uh, that's why some people say uh, jiu-jitsu is a language. You know? So you express yourself through the language. If I start to talk like you, like that, exactly the way you train. <laughs> <laughs> so if you start to get loud when you train, a lot of people around you are going to say, okay, man, <laughs> maybe I don't want to, discuss, I don't want to have this kind of discussion here. I'm feeling a little threatened. I feel uncomfortable. But if you talk nice with everyone, you can, you can be very nice, very, very wise in your talk, and people respect you sitting in the chair. You don't need to stand up and show that you can kick their ass. You be sitting in a chair and talk to people. Tell oh, man, if this guy have something inside him that I have to respect that. So about uh, about the, this progression is individual individual interpretation. I think Z have a very particular way to see this, which is very interesting the way he sees it. But it's an individual. I cannot uh, have the same expectations or or. Or a pattern of uh, improvement that is for everyone. All purple bell is going to be like this. No, some journey is going to be different. Some people are going to have fun in the beginning, going to be more committed in the middle. And, uh, but the idea of studying, understand your priorities. That's for that's for progression is more important than I understand. You have to understand your priorities. What 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 are the first things you learn in jiu-jitsu? Those are the most important. Those you cannot give up any, never. Everything you learn first, your first break fall, your first movement, how to shrimp, how to bump and roll, how, all those movements, educational movements, they are the most important. Those movements, when you get your black belt, you must be a master in it. You cannot, you cannot be okay. You got to be a master in it because you learn first than anything else. So it took you 10 years of practicing over that, that foundation to get in the level of master in that uh, educational movements. Priorities is the, the thing that you know, but you're not able to reproduce it. So what's my priority? First priority is things that I know. I'm able to reproduce, but I cannot apply. So for, to be able to apply, I need to make sure those things are shot. And which level I can apply? Some things you can apply with the white belt, some things you can apply in some guys, some people are going to apply in two people, some, some things you're never going to apply in anybody, but you're going to know it. You, you're able to reproduce it. If I need to show it, I will be able to show it properly. Uh, this, if you want to be instructor, if you want to preserve the art, you want to be a black belt with the skills to be able to preserve the art, you got to know this. You got to know the foundation properly and be a master on it. 
and then things you, you you are able to apply already there. So this those things you're gonna be shopping them, you know, eventually, periodically, whatever you feel like you have to do it. If you, if your competition uh, strategy or if it's your, your rolling uh, uh, techniques that you apply more often, but. The other priorities, things that you are able to reproduce, you cannot apply. And then go reproduce. Uh, I cannot reproduce. I know, but I cannot reproduce another priority. So a level of priorities, what I think that, what I, what I should know, foundations. Oh, my breakfall, my side breakfall. Is that perfect? Because if you're a black belt, you should have a side breakfall perfect. What I see now, <laughs> man, for me, that pissed me off. Come on, I go there for a brown belt test and the guy don't, don't do a proper side breakfall. And want me to give a brown belt. So I say, man, I'm sorry. But you cannot reproduce a foundation, a basic move properly. And then you expect me to recognize you as a high level. The high level for me is not the, uh, the most complicated things you can put on the mats. That for me shows that you, you're giving up of foundations to put something else instead, which is not the way to preserve the art. You're going to get better if you can know... If you, if you can put a phrase together because you learn A, B, C, D, E, that's the way you learn. Okay, but then you put a phrase together. You want to write a, uh, write a letter, put the phrase together. Put the words on, on, but they have to use, you know, write a letter is write a letter. But write a letter with a proper comma, with a proper, you know, uh, space here or this word instead of that word. Or start the phrase this way instead of that way. Use the, 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 the verbs in the proper, uh, you know, uh, time. So this is the difference between you, you, you do jiu-jitsu, just jiu-jitsu as a free uh, whatever, or a line of uh, uh, science that you can put down on paper and um, if you die and then leave a legacy for someone else can study. If the, the population now disappeared in the world, okay? With the, the whole humankind disappear right now. And then 100 years from now, you're going to find some people there you know, that survived. They need to, you know, re be re-educated. Someone that can find a jiu-jitsu book, you know, have, with no instructor, but have find a jiu-jitsu book, can become a jiu-jitsu master. Depends on the book. <laughs> so if, if it's just a book about, uh, you know, Berimbolo, or, you know, uh, flying arm bars and blah, 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 you know, we'll be nice. We'll be, we'll be a... Uh, uh, an art for sure but it's not a science okay i like i like how you uh distinguish between jujitsu as an art and as a science uh i think that they can both exist simultaneously but i also agree like you said uh you know building those foundations first if you don't build the foundations first it's like trying to build a skyscraper on a weak foundation you know the skyscraper might be beautiful but it's going to come crashing down if you don't have the foundation strong um, I've also heard it described like you did as a language too, whereas, you know, as a white belt, you're just learning words. And then as a blue belt, you're learning how to put words into short phrases. And then in purple belt, you're maybe creating sentences. And then in, in brown belt, you're creating paragraphs. And then as, as a black belt, you can like write a book. Um, so I've heard it described that way too. I really like, uh, that you, you brought that metaphor back in. That's really cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And um, so my my podcast app only lets us record one hour segments and we're nearing the end of the first hour. Are you OK to stick around for a little bit more? Let's go, man. 
I'd like to talk to you. All right. I, I appreciate it. And I enjoy talking to you too. Um, so we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with Master Silvio Baring. Just taking a quick commercial break, folks, to uh, remind you to check out our YouTube page. That's the Mind Ops YouTube page, as well as our website, www.mind-ops.com, for all your uh, general psychotherapy needs, uh, sport and performance psychology needs, uh, psychedelic integration needs, and addiction counseling needs. So go check those out, and uh, also check out our Facebook. Check out our YouTube. Uh, there's a lot of useful resources on there, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Back to the show. Sorry, man. I had to go all the way to find you again. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. We're, we're back with Sylvia Baring after that quick commercial break. And I got to jump right in and, and ask you a question that I've been uh, meaning to ask you since the last time we saw each other in Utah. Uh, and that was a great trip out there. We did a lot of talking out there about um, jujitsu and surfing and how they're similar um, uh, as, as far as like finding flow states and things like that in the practice. And I know for you, you know, jujitsu and surfing are your two. Um, the things that you, you hold on to the strongest uh, in your life. And I'm wondering how you use jujitsu and surfing as a spiritual practice, because uh, as I'm progressing through jujitsu as well, and, and uh, like we were talking about in the last segment, at first it was mainly just a physical practice for me, but now it's become a very spiritual practice to the point that every time I step on the mat, I literally feel like I'm stepping onto sacred ground, you know, and then the movements become, very spiritual and a way for me to connect with uh, my consciousness and a way for me to connect with, um, you know, the, the spirit of the universe. I'm wondering if you have any experience like that where jujitsu or surfing has been a spiritual practice for you. For sure. Especially in the most difficult and most challenging times, then you find yourself more spiritual. If not, you're going to, you're going to stress, you're going to collapse. So, I found myself in jiu-jitsu. As much as, much as I, I'll be on the mats, I got a lot of energy on the mats, and I, and I feel like uh, sometimes uh, the connection is inside people's minds. It's not about what, what's being reproduced physically. It cannot be in the physical. the physical. The physical is just an expression. But if you can be inside your, your partner's mind when you roll with him or feeling what the intention, what's the energy, I think that's, that's the best part of the training. I remember when I was, I was teaching 10 hours a day and I was training with a lot of students all day long and 10 hours on the mats every day. Every time I want to understand someone, I went to roll. And then I, after rolling, I could, I could read the mind. I could, I could know exactly what the person was feeling, thinking. Now, I, with exercise being uh, traveling worldwide and for gradings and, and seeing people performances everywhere. Oh, oh, see this guy, but see 100 people at the same time. I start to be able, I don't know if I start to be able, I felt that in this start to pop out, but I, I, I feel like when I see someone rolling or even doing a demo or whatever, I, I don't see the movement. I, I, I can see what is thinking, what, what's in the mind. It's not, it's not what's being done. What, what's, what you, so I, I say, man, you, you were thinking about this and that. How do you know this? 
I don't know. I just I, I could see that your your mind was working this way. So start to have this kind of connection, you know, a deeply connection with the with the with the, someone else's mind. Uh, I think is a is a is a is an ability is a for sure is is, is a gift. But his ability have must the gift God gives us the gift, but we need to develop that. <laughs> Uh, 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 here we have to make sure that happens. I can I can born with the gift to be a swimmer. If I never never uh, jump in the pool, I'm never gonna feel it. So the idea of uh, have this gift, I think that one gifted. I, I have it inside of me, and I, I uh, jujitsu gave me the chance to develop that for a level that I I really uh, feel connected. On the mats uh, and more now out the mats as well with the program for the that we are working appropriate behavior progressive management, which is a related with approach, uh, with uh, prevention, not just self defense in the in the aspect of physical self defense, but you know uh, is about uh, mindset interpretation, uh, read the, the situation, um, the legal aspect of the self defense. So all this, all this psychological aspects, I think, were, are helping me now to go on the mats and not just uh, evaluate uh, performance through movements, but uh, through uh, you know uh, 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 mind expression. Uh, I think I understand that. Yeah. So in a way, I mean, in a way, through your years of jujitsu practice and instruction, you. You know, you've gained a skill set almost like mine as a therapist where you can, um, you know, for me, I'll, I'll be hearing somebody's story, but I'll, I'll be able to sense, you know, the greater meaning underneath it and really where they're coming from and what their thoughts are. Um, whereas with you, you can watch somebody rolling and you can really tell where their mind is in the middle of the roll and help them improve their mindset that way. I think that's really cool. Uh, and, and an aspect of you know, the mental side of sport and the mental side of anything consciousness in general, that's not really talked about much. Uh, I have a couple books at home about ancient martial arts practices of mind control, um, specifically used by, um, ninjas and, um, samurai in ancient times where they would, uh, you know, really use mind games and, and understand their opponent's mind and use that as a benefit to help them win fights um, but also I can imagine, you know, if, if you get really skilled at, you know, getting inside the, the mind of your opponent, you can not only know what they're thinking, but you can also have some sort of impact as far as, you know, uh, do you want them to be anxious? Do you want them to be comfortable? Do you want them to be scared? Uh, and you have some influence to be able to affect their mind on that level. And I think that's a, that's a martial art in and of itself is, is uh, the mental side. Exactly, man. Exactly that. I think that it's a power like a, when I, I have been visiting Hickson sometimes when I have chances. This guy, I, can, I cannot uh, miss a chance to be with him. But the, he, his level of, uh, you know, of uh, interaction uh, is 100% like that all the time. You gotta look at you, bam, it's already inside your mind. Boom, right there, boom. I know uh, Master João Alberto Barreto, I feel the same. When I sit beside him, boom, he goes inside my mind right there. Boom, I can feel it. He, he gets me right there, you know. So you feel the connection. And uh, it's, not, it's not a threat, but 
put you in the in the edge of you know. So come on, don't don't come with bullshit. Don't talk. You know, if you want to say something, say something, but don't come with some something that make no sense or you know. So if you start to filter your ideas and start to be more sharp when you want to say something, you make you, you say something that should be said and gonna make the time the day better. But if nothing to say that gonna make any difference. Better better shut up. Hmm. Um, so what do you what do you make of the idea of consciousness in general? Like um, you know, I, I know that you are you know a very contemplative uh, man who I mean you like to think about yourself and your life and existence and you know that's part of um, the things the the conversations in your mind that happen after gaining some proficiency in things like surfing and jujitsu you start to think about like how am I connected to this wave and to the earth and to the planet and uh, how am I connected to this other person as I'm rolling with them and how are our minds connected and what does it all mean so what do you think about just the idea of consciousness? And when you think about it, uh, you know, what sort of thoughts come to your mind? How do you, how do you make sense of it? Yeah. Like, like I said, you know, if it was a day by day, if I go surf small waves and I want to make a performance, probably I'm not, not going to have this connection. I'm going to be on the physical aspect of surfing. If I go uh, for jiu-jitsu class and I go there and roll and have some guys to roll with and that's day by day, they are just, they're just uh, going to do some rolling. You possibly not gonna get in this stage of uh, concentration uh, uh, you know, to put your, your mind in that in that level of focus. Uh, so that's why I said, you know, if you go for the the extreme conditions, like when you get the, the demanding on yourself that you you need to put yourself like the, the waves are bigger, the conditions are not so so comfortable. You're gonna be more connected with the ocean. You gotta be more connected with the ocean. You gotta be into the what you're doing. So that the, the so key, maybe, yeah, yeah. The, the key is to be able to do that in the small waves as well. And you get in the in the ocean and forget about the performance. Just enjoy to be there. Enjoy to be there and have fun and and connect with the ocean and let it flow. Let it happen. I feel that happening sometimes in surfing right now. Surf. I lost the, the, I didn't lose it, it's still there, but I have to find it. Sometimes I feel it, sometimes not. With Jiu-Jitsu, I feel that all the time. I step on the mats, I start to check the belts, if they are tied properly, if the, 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 the strings on the pins are not falling down, the pins are not going to fall. I start to look around the way that, you know, all, all, every detail, every detail. If someone's sitting proper, he's not sitting proper, stand up, put the hands on the hips or cross your arms or, or he's doing something, his foot shouldn't be there, your hands shouldn't be there. <clears throat> so my eyes are constantly called by attention. It's funny because uh, uh, the other days the guy said, oh, but man, so he didn't say anything. He didn't see me on a demo. I said, man, I saw you, but you didn't do everything right. So didn't call my attention. Say, uh, uh, I'm sorry. The guy was expecting a compliment for doing, for be doing things right. I said, man, I'm here to see what's wrong. What's right is should be right. That's it. So I'm not looking for to give you compliments. I'm looking for someone who needs a correction. So if I look at you and see you doing right and go, hey, nice, I can miss a chance to see something doing wrong and say, babe, please don't do that. Don't put your hand there instead. This person needs help. What's right is right. I don't need to, to go down and give any compliments. Just keep doing right. You, shouldn't, you should do right. 
like like you 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 uh, a lot of people think it's a compliment to say oh uh, this person is honest should be honest for sure it's not it's not it's not a compliment it's just uh, must be honest that's that's the way to be not other way to go so uh, a lot of people think that they, because they are doing right they they demand attention no but the meditations people doing wrong those people need care need attention need correction i'm i'm saying over and over again never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake but always interrupt your student when he's making a mistake don't let the mistake happens twice if you let it happens twice three times then it's going to be hard to fix later yeah so the way that you approach your teaching you know focusing more on what needs to be fixed do you feel like you take the same approach when you're looking at yourself, like through your own internal meditation. Do you look mostly at like the things that you, you feel like you need to fix or you need to get better? Or do you pay attention to the things that you do really well as well and compliment yourself on those things? After 53 years of Jiu-Jitsu, man, what I'm doing now is make sure all my foundations are solid. You know, I cannot make any mistake in the basics. Gonna sound stupid if I don't do a proper break fall, if I hit my head on the ground, or if, if I don't, you know, stand up properly, or if I don't put a foot here or foot there properly. So I feel stupid when I make a basic mistake. You no, know, I cannot. I cannot make any mistake on the basics and the foundations. Anything that fancy or advanced that I can, you know, uh, I can I can take care here or there to fix it. But my my priority is always gonna be the foundation. So. I want, every time I have a chance, like when I went to Hickson last time to, to spend time with him, we went from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And the first half an hour we talk, and the second half an hour we were working on base, base, not half an hour working on base. I'm not saying I'm working on, on, on trolls, you know, attacks, defense, base. What is the base? What is base? What is base? Dynamic base, moving base, walking base, stepping base, move forward, move backward, resist here, resist there. How to stimulate the base? How to work base base, base on, on on some uh, uh, exercises that are gonna help um, better understanding of base. So, just with the with the guy, the master there, and I consider myself, uh, you know, a good a good instructor, a good professor. But we didn't we we were there talking about how to improve the base, our base and our students' base for half an hour. So a lot of people will, will say, come on, what are you guys talking about? That's, that, it should be there for you guys right now. No need to make any correction. Why you guys are spending so long? Because we're looking for, for perfection. Mm. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for perfection. That, that must be perfect. No doubt about that. No question about it. No question at all. No, no, let's go move forward next. That's it. But it's, it's, as long as still some questions to... to answer that's keeping on yeah so i mean in our talk today you've mentioned a lot of um people that our listeners are probably familiar with uh, as far as like famous practitioners in mma or jujitsu and i know that you have been in this world for a long time as a as an athlete yourself and also as a coach um so what do you think as far as uh what what is it what is a warrior mindset um, versus like a champion mindset versus a black belt mindset, because I feel like they're all similar, but they're also all very different. You know, a warrior mindset to me means more like, um, being a warrior on and off the mats, you know, uh, living a life of honor and virtue and things like that. Like, uh, like the samurai Bushido code. Um, 
you know, and a champion mindset might be more, um, focused and goal oriented and, um, working on, um, you know, perfecting the sport aspect, but then there's the black belt mindset, which is, you know, I feel like that's more about giving back and, and sharing what you've not, uh, what you've learned and continuing to, you know, progress and master your own self. So, uh, what do you think as far as those three mindsets, are they, are they the same? Are they different? And, you know, what do you think makes them different? I think they, they complete each other in, uh, in a uh, certain point of maturity. When you get very mature on the match, you're going to put together all those three and then be able to, you know, be like that, exactly like that, and where you define is perfect. I think the warrior side is the first side you have to, you know, make sure you, you have uh, to develop in your, in your mind. You got to pre- be prepared for anything, anytime. You cannot go, I got a competitor's mind is about, I'm going to be ready in a month. I'm going to be ready in 10 days. I'm going to be ready for three months. I'm going to be ready for the competition. Well, um, the warrior's mind is going to be ready now. Anybody invade my, my door here, I gotta, I, I'm able to defend myself, defend my family, whatever it takes. I'll do what I have to do. I, I, I have prevention. I, I can I can uh, project uh, consequences. I can I can make sure I, I make wise decisions. Be a warrior is to be able to to do that right now, anytime. Uh, a competitive mind is about that, you know, getting good shape, uh, eat well, sleep well, um, physical conditioning, healthy, you know, mindset, focus mindset, you know, make sure you don't get involved in emotions during a fight. You have to be always uh, about uh, about do the don't make mistakes, and the black belt mindset exactly what I said. You know, is is about to give back, it's about to be able to go there. What's what's important for me now? You know, what's important is to bring people to my level. Man, I have to do it. I have to make sure people reach. I I want my my guys to be better than me. If they go, they gonna go to my level is not enough. I already reached there, so somebody have to raise it. Have to have to. You know, break this 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 limit, break this paradigma. So, and we cannot compare or give a reference of untouchable things. Oh, everybody should be like a master, grandmaster Ed or like Hickson. Nobody gonna be like them. Those guys are, uh, you know, beyond the curve. They are they are they are both the the, the line. So, they're special. But um, a lot of people, you know, and that's that's why I always repeat. We have to accomplish our full potential. What's my full potential? I'm never going to know. I'm going to die before knowing it. But people are going to talk about it in the future. Oh, Master Silva, he left this. And his legacy was that. Oh, he did this. He did that. Oh, he was great on this, great on that. People are going to talk about that. If I think I already reached my full potential, and I should, be, I should hang myself right now and kill myself. That would be the end. Full potential, you never reach it. You're going to always look for that. Look for my full potential. My full potential, what's my full potential? Be ready for anything, anytime. Be able to prepare myself for so many times in the, uh, that I need to put my performance on. And be able to give back all the time. Every time I have a chance, I give back. You know, I, I have to be able to uh, uh, bring someone else for a better level. I was talking uh, when I was giving a seminar two days ago putting the pairs together there. I say, guys, at the end of this class here, you're not, you're not going to ask you. I'm not going to ask you if you feel better, if you, if you feel that you did improve. I'm going to ask your partner if he felt that you did improve. That's more important for me that you, got, that you, can be able, you are able to, to tell to your partner that he got better. Man, you got better today. 
And if if it's not this partnership not working, if you cannot, if you if you just yourself feel you, you improved and your partner cannot tell you that you improved, he was competing with you, was not training with you, is not helping you. So both have to look at each other like you know what I'm gonna train with you today to make you better, and for make you better, you gotta make me better. You know, that's the way to look for partnership. Yeah, I like that a lot, and um, you know, so. There's this idea, I like how you talked about like you want to you want to pass on the lineage you want to pass on the understanding um, and you want to protect it and not everybody who starts a jujitsu journey finishes you know most people don't finish at least here in the U.S. you know um, most people who start at white belt do not make it to black belt and I think a lot of that has to do with like what you said uh, once you start getting into it you start comparing yourself to other people on the mat or comparing yourself to other, uh, you know, legends in the sport or whatever. And if you're always comparing yourself to other people and never living up to that standard, then you're always going to be disappointed. So that, you know, that brings me to my next question. Um, you know, if everybody's not going to make this journey to the end and your goal or one of your missions is to pass this on, I mean, you have to be able to find the students that are going to, be there for the long haul um and in your mind what makes like what makes an ideal jujitsu student what what stands out to you as like when you see that on the mat you're like that's a person that i can count on to pass down the lineage and i'm going to put um a lot of effort into that person you know man that door just opened from inside you know i had so much talents that uh, you know i had to give up on them when they gave they gave up before i did it you know so is 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 interesting because you're gonna see people that you, just by looking. I can see a champion right there. I can see the kid put the gear on the way he walks on the mat. And this kid is gonna be a champion, but he maybe he's gonna quit next year. I don't know. So uh, a lot of people that surprise me, and that they are the ones that are, you know they still on even they don't have the, the you know the gift. They're not gifted, but they're dedicated. And and if the person have the gift and become dedicated, dedicated then. It will excel. It will be, you know, a reference for sure. But I, I, I'm, I'm looking for people committed, committed on study, study jujitsu properly, not selfish. Looking for oh, I'm getting better. This I'm getting better. No, no, no. Okay, how you, how you see your group growing, how you see your team growing, how you see your, your people around you. Can you see the picture for the everyone around you, or you just see the, yourself when, when you do this? So anybody selfish for me, you know, uh, that uh, especially people who, you know, oh, you start to give a line of uh, things that you must, uh, you must know this, and the, uh, and the person looks at ah, that don't fit on my game. Why, why, why should I know this? I don't fit on my game. I'm never gonna use it. But you must know this because someone else will need it when you become a black belt for you to give this, and this is easy to know. And people give up on it for it to be selfish. So for me, I have to be someone always, always there, able to help. I got, I, I, I got very, uh, you know, uh, impre- very well impressed with the with the guys that I visited last visit in, in, in Alberta, Canada. Because uh, one thing I, I, I asked them is to be helpful, and a certain point of the gradings, we had a group of uh, because we divide all groups and you know. Uh, white belts going for first, second stripe. White belts going for third, fourth stripes. White belts going for blue belts. 
uh, uh, color bells, kids, uh, white bells, kids, color bells, kids. Uh, so we divided in a lot of different groups. And certainly point of there, uh, we had a group of 12 people and we had 25 people helping. Wow. So that, that was beautiful. You know, I would look around and say, man, come on. That's, you know, I, know I can, you know what I did? I said, paru, paru, that's, we're going to give a, per, we're going to have a personal test here, two in each one. Let's go work this way, blah, blah, blah. So it was beautiful work. You know, the, 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 those guys who were being tested there, they felt more personal. They felt more, felt more, more supported, more attention. You know, just by, by look back and look at it and say, look back, look how many people came here for to help you guys today. So everybody was feeling great. About that was the best feeling. And they were not there just to be helpful. They were just to check you out. If I ask them to headlock you on the ground, don't let you escape, they're going to do it. But that's the part of the of the demanding that we need to put on. Sometimes you're going to go, blah, 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 knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Okay, now I want to see your heart. How are you going how, how to see your, your heart by asking you what you're able to do? I have to ask you what you're not able to do. <laughs> they want to see your heart. And it was great to see like a kid giving the lesson for everyone there. A kid that was doing a bad breakfall. So I said, come on, I'm going to teach you how to do a breakfall. And I pump, 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 make start with the correction. Then I put a, a foam in front of him. Okay, now you have to step before the foam and roll over the foam. Put your hands there, roll. I look at me. Uh, okay, you don't know how to do it? No, no, but I want to try. Say, that's it. That's everything I want to hear, man. That was a lesson for everyone right now. You don't know, but you want to try. Perfect. That shows that you trust on me and you trust on yourself. Because sometimes you have to trust on me more than I do. And I use the example like uh, if I have my kid going for the school bus first time, okay, never been in a school bus before. What am I going to tell my kid? No, gonna, everything going to be okay. Everything going to be all right. I'm, I'm, I'm scared, more scared than I could be. But I'm not, I cannot say that to my kid. I know how, how was my first day in the bus, bus school. That was, you know, scary. A lot of people that I never said, saw before. Nobody's my friend yet. I don't know who's going to be my friend. Have any bully and a girl that I'm going to be. So uh, the kid have to trust on his father more than the father does. Yeah. <laughs> because... Is it doubt that? So I used to say that guys, you have to trust on me more than I do. They don't understand that in the first hand, say that because I, I gotta tell that everything, everything gonna be okay, but I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, what was it? I mean, it must be a little bit different working and coaching um, like strangers versus uh, coaching your own kids through jujitsu. So, uh, I mean, one day Callie and I hope to have lots of kids, and I hope to get them in to jujitsu really young because I'll still be in it and I want to have like a little jujitsu family, but I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. What was that like for you to raise kids in a jujitsu culture? Was it difficult? Uh, was it, was it fairly easy for you? What was it like? Okay. We used to say something here in Brazil that a saint at home don't make miracles. (laughs) (laughs) So that means I gave my kid to someone else. I put my kid to train with Alexandre Paiva uh, from um, Alliance. I put my kid to train with Master Alvaro. I put my kid to train with Douglas Moura. And I was there just uh, be demanding on him uh, of his knowledge. But I wasn't teaching him day by day. Not me. No way. I had to put someone else to do it. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, cause I, I see that oftentimes, like when, even when like uh, couples, like a husband and wife will work out together, if the husband is giving the wife some, some pointers on her lifting technique or something, she'll get upset, you know, and take it personally. So I can see that for sure. If you were teaching your son, that might come up also and bring, um, issues into the home. I think that's really smart. Um, you know, handing off your son into people that you trusted to really instill not just the technique, but the, the discipline and the, and the philosophy also. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and, that, and that's exactly what happened to me. My father was a great teacher, but he put me on a master Alvaro's hands. Every time he, we, 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 you know, he could not do it himself. He, wasn't, he was too demanding on us. I was 10 years old. My father was bringing me to a run. Hmm. I ran for five, six kilometers. And I and I, I could not I cannot lose him. So he was running and I had to follow him and crying. <laughs> but I had to do it. But then when it was coming for the time for to teach, he was smart. He said, You know what? I'm not gonna burn myself with you guys. You're gonna train with this guy here. So he, he was looking for uh the most uh the, the closest uh, personality. So he made a wise a wise choice. He put me on the master Alvaro, he put my brother on the Hickson was pretty, you know, the mindset was pretty similar. Mm -hmm. um, now, in your, in your jiu-jitsu history, uh, I know you were a competitor for a long time. Um, did you ever have to use jiu-jitsu in a self-defense situation off the mats? Um, that's something that I've been fortunate enough to not have to use since uh, starting jiu-jitsu. I mean, luckily, since I started jiu-jitsu 10 years ago, I haven't been in a fight that hasn't been like in a cage or something. So um, I've been really lucky. And, and I think it's because I'm good at um, de-escalating a situation verbally first. So I can talk my way out of almost anything and I try and avoid fights. But uh, I remember more when I was training other martial arts, I would find myself getting into physical conflict a little bit more. And I'm wondering if, I mean, your, your history is primarily jujitsu and judo. I'm wondering if you ever had to use that stuff growing up on the street uh, in, in Brazil? Uh, the, the cops are not around? No, they're not around. <laughs> no, cops are, no, no cops around. Man, we fought every day. That was every day, every time on the street, whatever. I, was, I wasn't a, you know, a kid that loves to fight, but my brother was the one who always fighting fights, so most of the time I had to go there and fight as a family. So... We did that a lot. We used that a lot. You know, at a certain point, it was uh, unfair. Nobody knew really what's going on. And we had a, a technical advantage over 99% of the population. So not now anymore. Now a lot of people, you know, know, you know basically how to defend themselves. They know basic stuff. But the certainly point for us was, uh, was, wasn't, was take advantage. We were taking advantage of our skills. But we're kids. We need to check it out you need to pick a, a big guy and check if my punch could knock him out or after i could take them down or you know so accept, accepting challenges and looking for fights all over the place that was uh, we, we, we that's why i said you know when when i start to understand life the different way I, everybody who's still alive had to change that's the truth yeah i mean it I like how you learned how, uh, I mean, you learned the hard way in your youth with a lot of fighting, but that's not what you teach in your seminars and in your classes with us. You know, when every time I've ever trained with you and worked with you, you've always 
emphasized, you know, avoid fights if you can, uh, talk your way out of it, use your nonverbal commands, and, uh, you know, you, you don't really tell people to go out and test their moves on the street like you used to do. It, it seems like you learned your lesson there and you're trying to pass on your lessons so that we don't have to make those mistakes also. Alan, and I bury my brother. I bury some friends, you know. So I, I had to, to carry the car. So that's a, that's a, that's a bad experience. So yeah, we, 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 grew, we, we grew on a very uh, competitive, not violent, but competitive, uh, uh, you know, uh, background. Our, it was all about, you know, Gangs fighting, uh, bare hands, but a lot of a lot of um, you know, trying to prove that we could rule the place and nobody you know Howl is here, not welcome, whatever. Uh, but things changed. You no, know? I was a, I was always a gentle guy. I wasn't I wasn't a guy looking for fights, but I was always like like you said, I was a warrior, in in, in the sense that I was ready for to fight anytime I needed, and I had to be because I had. A, that any time during the day or the night, I could be a challenge for a fight with a guy who, who was a very good fighter. So, uh, but I was gentle. I remember. I, I remember also making a big mistake in my life and fighting with no reason and feeling feel, feeling shame about that fight. And the fight was horrible. So, you know, it's not a. It's a, like I said. Like you said also, it's about a mindset. It's the, the physical thing is just the stupid things. If you react by emotion. Don't, don't be smart. You're going to make a mistake. So I'm glad I learned my lessons and I passed to people all the information through a lot of experience. And everything I say, and that's one thing I got to make sure people understand, everything I say, I don't say from, from outside. Uh, I say from inside because I, 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 everything I teach, everything I talk, I had experience on it. I had experience on it. It wasn't, wasn't that I read on the book and I tried to give the same information. I passed through it. I don't teach one self-defense movement that I didn't track past it over and over again. So, and, and even the is just the theoretical information. I gotta be able to to make sure that I, that information came from a, a good source. So that's that's the point now, man. Um, I'm I'm feeling more mature with my behavior. I'm feeling more confident with the, with my skills as well. I'm older. I'm not a kid anymore. But I feel that I'm more in power uh, of my 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 myself than I was when I was 20 years old, and you know, a very good competitor, fighter, the best uh, shape of the life. But the mind was was still not not prepared for, you know, make a world a better world. Yeah, I really like that. I think all those mindsets, the warrior mindset, champion mindset, and black belt mindset. You know, and the fully uh, embracing those mindsets you have to know when and how to you know fight or resist but you also need to know when not to and you can avoid it as well I think that's um you know that's that's definitely you know it'll teach you a lot about someone if they're quick to anger or it'll teach you a lot about someone if they're quick to um, start a fight with someone just to try and resolve how they feel emotionally I think that, um, you know, the warrior mindset and yeah, especially the warrior mindset takes uh, development of that restraint and being able to assess the whole situation and, you know, even project into the future, you know, what the consequences could be for whatever action happens.
I think that's super important. Exactly. Exactly. Now, now the legal aspect of self-defense is the most most important right now in our times. You know, because you know, make a confusion. If I talk too much about non-violence, maybe I give a ticket to to the funeral. If I don't talk about the legal aspects of self-defense, I give you a ticket to the prison. Mm. So I need to make sure that the student understand they have the right to defend, have to have and must do it. You know, like uh, I read the other day, self-defense uh, starts when you think yourself is worth it to defend. So if you, if you, if you think yourself is worth it to put yourself into a situation to fight for it, you should be able to train and, and, and do it if it's necessary. So but, the, uh, the base level is you have to feel worthy yourself. You have to feel like you're you're worth fighting for. Exactly, that's the first feeling. Yeah, so how do people develop that? If if they're you know if some of the listeners out there are listening and they're like, I just don't feel like I'm worth fighting for. How how do how do people snap out of that? How do people get out of that? First thing, stand up, look in the mirror, and see who you are. Introduce yourself to yourself. Man, that's me there. You know what? I have to, I have to look in the mirror and see myself the way I want to see it. You know, uh, I remember when I was, I was a kid, I was very vulnerable. I was feeling always vulnerable, even when I was training. But every time I look in the mirror, I could see myself when I was, you know, projecting when I would be an adult. I want to be, I want to be strong. I want to be. And I remember when I was 16 years old, you know, I looked in the mirror and said, man, that's the guy I want to be when I was a kid. Mm. You know, that was one thing that I, but uh, I, I, I bellowed myself uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, um, lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem, uh, like everybody passed through in the teenager, you know, and I think that, you know, start to date girls, you need to be loved by the girls. Sometimes it's not about, you know, fights. It's about, you know, if the girl going to like you or not. If you're going to be able to give a kiss on that beautiful girl or not. It's not, it's not it's be confident. And sometimes you're confident for her to fight, but not confident for her to live. And then, and then becomes a, the life becomes a fight all the time. So you got to look to yourself uh, respecting your limitations, understand yourself the way you are, and, and, and loving yourself. If you don't, you cannot find this. If you cannot, you cannot see that. Meditation is a way to start to deal better with uh, your 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 mind pure, like uh, with no no boundaries, with no no not not playing with your with yourself, like taking you out of your your track. But that's why also, if uh, if you're so bad in in and you cannot see yourself with someone that got worsted, man, I will give you a card because they need a therapist, yeah. someone who can help them to see them be themselves better. Jiu-jitsu helps a lot, you know. Sometimes, you know, that's why, that's why I say, man, every time you have a student, put your hand in your student. You're just going to know someone if you put your hand in someone. I mean, put your hand to attack someone, to, to feel the energy, to have something feedback. I can, I can change someone's life. For, like I said, I was four years old when Grandmaster just changed my life. He put the hand on me and made me feel I was capable to defend myself. I, that was the first time in my life I felt that worse to defend myself, worse to defend myself. So I did it. I started training and never gave up. 
So if you do that the proper way, then the first time you put a hand on someone and say, I'm going to show you something. Instead of, instead of empower someone with the capability of breaking an arm or twist an arm, show someone, you know, for the first time, how to don't be moved if you don't want to get moved. I don't want to get out of here. And someone will push you out of here. You don't want to get out. What are you going to do? So improve your base, improve your verbal approach, your prevention. The person is walking towards you and you feel a bad energy. What are you going to do? You're going to wait until, until the person gets so close and the situation get now, cannot avoid anymore. What are you going to do? So hesitation, all this, all this, uh, this mindset uh, must be built by true exercises. Uh, and that's one point about, about some, some self-defense uh, systems. They are based on a lot of uh, 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 personal uh, um, uh, skills and cannot be based on it. Have to be based on, on um, things that ev- everyone could do. So I, I remember I went to a, a course, and in the middle of the course, somebody asked me, Mr. Silvio, what would, would you do here in this situation here? He says, thank you for giving me a word, but, uh, you know, what I will do that, it's, uh, uh, it's, not, it's not a case, it's, it's, uh, it's irrelevant, because I will do my way. I don't know what you guys will do that. I, I'm here. I see a lot of uh, instructors from different martial arts, and each one of us will do it dif- differently. So if I give another option here for you guys, I'm not going to help at all. I'm going to do what I will do. it. But it, I can say right now, what we're going to teach you guys here, that make difference. So if we agree to teach one thing for everyone here, then we're going to do the proper, proper thing. What, what's the thing I have to teach you? What, I, what I'm, I'm able to do? what I can make you do today. So they finally agreed that, you know what, what can make you me do today? So come here, I'm going to show you. But what I do, I have been doing for 53 years. What, what, how can I put that on the map and say, do it? It's not a way. Yeah, so... So a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people think that's about what they can do. It's not about what I can do. It's about what can they make people do it. Mm-hmm. And really, I hear you, you, you know, I hear you saying you really got to know yourself. Like you said, like look in the mirror and ask like, who am I? And knowing yourself and meditation is great for that. And thank you for saying you'd refer people to me. Uh, you know, I'm always open to taking new clients. That's great, especially athletes. I like to work with athletes. Um, but I think that uh, psychedelics also can be a great way to know yourself if you know, especially if there's parts of yourself that you're either unwilling to look at or um, parts of yourself that are kind of hidden from yourself. Like if you've repressed or suppressed a bad memory or, or a behavior or something, then a psychedelic can help bring that back to the surface so that you can look at it and really examine it and analyze it and then um, use it differently so that it's not um, tormenting you anymore. And I know that down in Brazil, uh, Brazil's a hot spot for ayahuasca as well. Um, do you do you get to see that being down there, like seeing um, the the ayahuasca tourism and people coming down there to to find themselves through psychedelic means? 
Yes, I, you know, I never did it, and I'm, I'm very curious about that. You know, one day I'm gonna take a, you know, uh, courage enough to go there and check it out. I'm not afraid to do it. You know, um, when I was younger, I played with my mind a lot, so I know that a lot, a lot of people are not recommended to do it. You know, but but for some people, for sure, it's very, very important to to look. You know, anybody who who need a, a, a alternate stage of conscience, conscience for 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 to perform better, you know, it's all over the place. The mindset, you know, it's, it's hard to keep focused. Blah blah blah. Some people need an uh, alternate stage, stage, stage of conscience. That's the, that's the truth. If you feel like you know, you know, feet on on what uh, you 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 think too fast, or you cannot hold your thoughts, or blah blah blah, or you cannot sometimes uh, um, because you can look for a meditation is a kind of uh, of technique that if you go really deep on it a good breathing uh, uh, in Bahia uh, we did a, a breathing exercise for half an hour and during the exercise I, I went through a lot of different sensations I could feel people on my side you know you know feeling uh, dizzy you know after the exercise a lot of people was feeling stoned um, you know um, that was really interesting really deep half an hour uh, breathing exercises over and over again with a rhythm and somebody leading it. Uh, just by breathing, the oxygen was bring, uh, playing with my brain. For so many times, I was, I was, was, you know, my mind was so, so uh, um, running so fast with so many things coming by until I could be focused. Boom, and the meditation started to go on a really good level. But I think just by breathing properly, by breathing as an exercise, you know, your, the oxygen can play with your. Uh, your brain a lot, but I agree that you know for some people, and for some people with maturity and uh, that know themselves a little, uh, with with you know, uh, with care and, and uh, psychedelics are are, uh, are good. Probably are you know they're gonna give. I will I will try one day. I will try. Yeah, well, when you if you come to Brazil, we're gonna do that together. Yeah, absolutely. Give <laughs> me a call afterwards, and we'll talk about it. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like you said, like altered states of consciousness can be beneficial for people. I find for me uh, with jujitsu also, you know, I find that I perform better uh, if I've used a little bit of cannabis right before I do any e either technique or drilling or free rolling. Um, cannabis helps to kind of slow my mind down a little bit because my mind is usually running very fast and almost too fast sometimes for me to uh, catch thoughts um, as I'm rolling, but the cannabis will help slow everything down, help slow my system down, slow my breathing down, slow my heart rate down so that I can perform better and, and not make mistakes. Like you said. Yeah, so that's why it's good to be in Colorado right now. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah I think that's always, always a, 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 you know, a benefit that you can take from, from those uh experiences i i think that you know everything's positive i don't recommend um uh, you know like uh medicine uh any pills or stuff like chemicals like uh, i i think that's uh, really dangerous uh to play with chemicals in the body but uh with natural things are uh, i think that you know uh probably uh are the best way to to go for it uh, you know alternating stage of consciousness if it's, it's natural, probably going to be good for you. Yeah. 
Um, so we're, we're getting to the end here of the podcast. I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, so I'm curious, you know, with, with your whole life, uh, and not just jujitsu, but all your experiences, um, in life, I mean, you've been through a lot. Your life is incredible. I think they could write a book or a movie about it probably, but, um, from all your experiences, what are some of the lessons, the biggest lessons that you've learned from things like training, traveling, teaching, surfing, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned about yourself and about living life and living life in a happy way? Well, first thing that I learned, don't, don't try to, uh, uh, you know, please everyone. <laughs> Never happens. If you want to please everyone, better born as a beer next time. Mm. Uh, um, the second thing is accept people the way they are. You know, people are different. And I start to, you know, traveling worldwide, you know, start to deal with a lot of different people. You know, some people that I will not, I will not be a friend by, by you know, natural friend, uh, but then start to be necessary to relate because of business. And then after a while, start to love this person that you hate in the beginning because you start to be more understanding over, you know, differences. People are different worldwide, culturally, you know, um, like you said, we grow in different countries, different culture. For now, for me, wherever I go, I feel at home. I go to Colorado with you guys, I feel at home. Utah, I'm at home. In California, I'm at home. In Middle Eastern, I'm at home. If I'm in Africa, I'm at home. I'm, you know, I remember I was surfing somewhere in the world. I remember where I think it was in Mexico. And a guy told me, man, where are you from? I said, man, I'm from here. I'm just, I'm just here. So I'm from here right now. I'm from Earth. I feel, I feel at home. So why are you asking me where I'm from? I'm from here. I'm from the ocean. I'm from the water. What, what you want? Yeah? So that's why I feel. I feel like, the, you know, as more you travel, you got to be yourself more, you know, I, not... Not, not trying to adapt yourself for the places you go, but respect the limits of, uh, over the cultural limits that you're going to be under. Like uh, people here don't like this, don't like that. So put yourself under that limits. But be yourself 100%. Be honest. I remember I was in Middle Eastern once, and um, his friend I met and his, uh, his brother... You know, and, and then they brought me uh, Iman to talk to me. And this guy came in and was very, very intelligent guy, very, very studious guy, talking about uh, the Islam. And uh, that was beautiful. Uh, I had so many questions about the religion for him. And at the end, you know, uh, he turned to me, looking to my eyes, said, now if you repeat with me what I'm going to say now, you're going to reborn in this room cleaner than anybody else. I looked into his eyes and I said, sir, Apologize, sir. I have to. I have to ask for apologize here, because uh, I have my religion. I have my beliefs. I'm just very curious. I'm, I love your religion. I, I really. I want to know a little better about this. I want to understand. And you, you gave me a beautiful, beautiful lesson. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to repeat what you're saying. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to become a Muslim right now. And that was a disappointment. But I was feeling so strong to say it. You know, I wasn't intimidated. Was was a little tricky in the beginning because I, I, I started to feel where he was going. I could not turn it back. I had to wait for the right time to, you know, it was jujitsu. I was, <laughs> I, was, I was under attack. He was mounted on me from the hand of my collar. Mm-hmm. As soon as I put the second hand, I bump and roll, say, sir, I'm sorry. I cannot do it. 
And he was really okay with that. Then everybody, I didn't lose any respect there. Everybody respected me more because I was honest. I was said what I want to say. And uh, I could, you know, I could lie. And I can tell you, more, more important than all this, if I was in a weak spot and I didn't, if I didn't have a belief, I will become a Muslim that day because the, the way he talked to me made me feel like I was, that was really good for me. So it was a pretty interesting experience. That's incredible. Um, could you let uh, the audience know sort of what's on uh, the near future for you? I, I know you said you're coming back to the U.S. soon. If you could let people know where you're going to be and at what times uh, of the year so that if they want to you know, take a seminar or something, yeah, they can I, find you. Perfect. I'm going to be uh, from July 9th to August 25th helping Rodrigo Antunes in Key Biscayne for the World Championships, and I'm going to be in the World Championships uh, in Vegas. But uh, the 20th of July, I'm going to Toronto for a, a weekend camp, uh, a little north in Toronto, on, the, on Tuesday. So I'm going to marry another couple there. Second time I'm going to do it, man, in my lifetime. I'm going to marry another couple that is a black belt. My, my student want to marry and want me to do this. So I already did once for me. Now I'm going to be either. My first one, I was so afraid. And then from there, I'm going to Montana to visit Brandon. And, and then I'm going to Sam in, in Buenos Ferry. I'm going to spend a week with those guys there in, in Montana, Idaho. And then I'm going back to, sorry, I have to go to Alabama for a seminar as well. But most of the time, I'm going to be in Key Biscayne, visiting some friends around there, doing some workshops. But Rodrigo Antunes is the one organizing my trip there. In November, I have a camp in Costa Rica. And I have several trips to do. In October, I'm going to be in you know, September, October, I'm going to be in Canada, all over the place there. And I still have here next week, I'm going to the south of Brazil, and then I'm going to Sao Paulo, and then I'm going to the south again. Yeah, it's non no stop, man, no stop. Yeah, sounds like it. It's a busy guy. Um, yeah. Your websites real quick with the folks so that uh, I'm going to post them also on your, your introduction. Um, but if you could just name them real quick for our listeners so they can go find uh, some information about you. Yeah, basically for to uh, contact me right now, Instagram and, and Facebook are the, 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 the ones I'm, I'm really uh, on it. The website we're working on the website they're working on an app as well we're gonna have an app very soon but put on the phone but uh at silvio bang s-y-l-v-i-o-b-e-h-r-i-n-g uh, instagram and silvio da mata bang silvio s-y-l-v-i-o da mata is d-a and m-a-m-a-t-t-a b-e-h-r-i-n-g this is uh, on Facebook. Easy to find me there. I have a, all my personal accounts is already full, but I have a, a, a coach account which is easy to to follow. And Twitter also. I'm not going too too much there, but it's working. I always I post something there, but I never really check it out. I'm I'm contracting someone to take care of, take care of that for me, man. You know I, I'm I'm pretty lazy on it. Like I wish I I would be like Verdun. But I cannot do it. I'm not that that uh, easy on the on the on those tools. But that's it. Easier to to reach me there and uh, my email silviobang at gmail dot com. 
Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Master. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a really busy guy and it was amazing to sit down with you for two hours and catch up after, you know, having not, not spoken to you for, at this length for a number of years. I know you and I have been in contact here and there with short messages, um, you know, throughout the last couple of years, but it was really nice to, to sit down and have a long conversation with you again. I hope to see you next time. And, you know, try to do that one in, in, in Idaho. They're going to be close to you. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll reach out to Professor Olson and see what, what's going on up there. And, um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to, to seeing you soon. And I look forward to trips down to Brazil to, so you can teach me how to surf. I've never done it before, but I'm really interested in trying it. And then uh, we can set up an ayahuasca journey or something. Like that. Yeah. I, I can guarantee you're going to stand up the first day. <laughs> Say hi to a wife, man. Yeah, everyone there. Give a big hug on Z and everyone there, okay? All right. Love you, sir. Talk to you. Talk to you soon. Take care. I love you. Take care. Bye. Bye. And again, another phenomenal podcast for Conversations of the Mind. Um, what an honor it was to talk to Master Silvio Baring. Uh, and giving him giving us two hours of his time. Uh, he is in high demand all over the world. Um, so we're very grateful that he took the time to sit down with me and, and talk today. Uh, it's an honor as a student of his and as a friend of his um, to even get to know him. And my hope is that uh, all, you know, some of the lessons and some of the benefits that were imparted on me by just knowing him were also imparted on you guys by listening today. So that's my hope. And, you know, keep listening, keep liking, keep sharing our podcast, share it with your friends and family. Word of mouth is the best way to get people to listen. And, uh, of course, check out our YouTube, uh, page and, um, check out also our website mindops.com that's m-i-n-d hyphen o-p-s.com or the mind ops youtube page where we break down some of the concepts so again thanks again to master silvio Baring. love to have him on in the near future and uh, we'll talk to you all soon stay good peace <laughs>